The Bread and Butter podcast acknowledges the Yagara people and the Turbal people as the traditional custodians of Mainjin, the lands on which we record today. We pay our respects to the Yagara and Turbal elders, past, present, and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by Hey Al Productions. Did I say good? <laughs> Did I get you one more time? Maybe just in case. Okay. Go. Bread and better podcast. <laughs> okay. Bread and better podcast. I feel like I am. <clears throat> Bread and better podcast. Alrighty, guys, let's get into it. So for those listeners that have ever taken one of my classes at F45, they know that Alrighty Guys is my standard intro, so I thought I'd take it for a spin here. I am Tegan. I am one of your hosts. This podcast aligns with everything that I am about, improving women's health via education, awareness, empowerment, and conversation. I am so blessed to also do this in my job as an online coach in my own business, Fitty Teagues. And I'm Alex. I'm a podcast producer, the co-host of this podcast, and the owner of Hey Our Productions, a boutique podcast production company. Aside from that, I am a mum of three, a freelance feature writer. I've been published in Mamma Mia, Collider, Pop Matters, Out and About with Kids Magazine, and a bunch more. While I love writing about film and TV, I am super passionate about women's health issues. We're going to get straight into the main content of today's episode as we are finishing off a two-parter from last week. We welcomed my friend Julia on and in the episode I interviewed Alex and Julia on their experiences with motherhood and their personal mental health. This was an amazing conversation, but it was a full-on one. In this episode, there are discussions about mental health, including suicide. We want to advise you that if you feel like it's not a good time to hear this conversation, it may be a good idea to skip the episode for now. However, it is an incredibly important conversation that you may want to return to later. We extend the reminder to anyone that is suffering from mental health or hard times that they are not alone. Please refer to the show notes for links to organisations that may be helpful. In addition to that, our DMs are always open. So Alex, on the last episode, you disclosed with us that you are diagnosed with bipolar. What did this diagnosis mean when you were pregnant and when you had your kids? I have basically, always, I want to say always had anxiety and depression. I think I kind of officially, I would say, started when I was 16. But well, now when I think about it, I was an anxious kid and you know had some really weird rituals and stuff like that that I needed to go to sleep at night. But I kind of just dealt with all of that. I never saw a psychologist or anything. I saw a GP, I don't know, when I was 18 who put me on Zoloft, which (laughs) didn't work, if anything. It went the other way. But, yeah, had never really saw anyone about my mental health. It was just something I really struggled with. When I fell pregnant with Oscar, it was a really happy time in my life. It was probably one of the happiest times in my life up until that point Kevin and I were living overseas, managing a eco resort. We had awesome friends. It was just really fun. So I guess that kind of carried through the pregnancy. I had a lot of like health issues uh, with my kidneys and stuff like that. So I was kind of in and out of hospital a bit, but it didn't really get to me. I think I had like the normal amount of anxiety you would have when you're having a first baby, you know, like counting kicks and stuff like that. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was anything extreme. And then I had Oscar and, as I said, it was the happiest six months of my life, which was really surprising, which was something I wanted to tell you when, you know, Tegan told me that that was a very different experience because 
yeah, it was a, it was a huge surprise to me that it was the happiest six months of my life because I thought that I was going to struggle. And then obviously with the fertility stuff, trying to fall pregnant with Magnolia, that was that was a really hard time in my life. All of the hormones with the Clomid and everything and, and the miscarriage that just all kind of played havoc with my brain. I definitely went through a lot of ups and downs, which like thank God for Kev. He just helped me through all of it at that time. And my sister-in-law, Cassie Mackay, she's like a huge, um, always has been like a huge mental support for me. So yeah, both of them really kind of helped me through a lot of that and my family. And then yes, when I was pregnant with Magnolia, very similar to you. So I was convinced I was having a boy. As I said before, I wanted four boys, thought that's how my life would play out. Was so sure she was a boy had like boys' names picked, went into the scan and found out she was a girl and I just broke down. Um, I was like I cried and cried and cried for a few, like probably for like a week to the point where I had to talk to my GP because I just wasn't coping and I felt really guilty because Mm. this was this baby that I wanted more than anything in the world and I felt like I was being really ungrateful. Um, but she set me up with this amazing psychologist at the MARTA and I saw her I think pretty much weekly until I gave birth to Magnolia and she – so the reason like once we dug into it that I was so upset was because there's a lot of mental health issues in my family, uh, predominantly in the women in my family, a lot kind of around like eating disorders as well. So I was just so sure – that this daughter would grow up and really struggle with depression, anxiety, eating issues. Uh, So I was just like terrified that I'd ruined her life before she was even born. But the psychologist explained epigenetics to me. Amazing. It's really interesting once you start looking into it. Yeah. which Yeah. So because I think that with my brain, if something is explained to me in like a scientific Mm. way, a really logical way I can work with that. So I think she saw that in me. I have no idea what epigenetics is. I've had it explained to me about the fact that so because we are essentially DNA and genes that a lot of trauma or experiences, happy times or sad times, we feel a lot of emotion in our body, right? So when you're sad or when you're stressed, you hold stress in your body, you feel it physically. Those you've got to think so I'm pregnant at the moment. I'm also technically carrying my grandchild, yeah. right? Because the ovaries, mm-hmm. the eggs are being produced in the baby that I have in my uterus. So the physical implications of trauma or things that I'm feeling are actually genetically passed on to my grandchild. And if we're not dealing with some of the trauma-based things, and that's when we talk about breaking generational trauma and those cycles, there's a much more scientific background to it. I've had it explained to me in that context, but it is about yeah, that's a really good explanation. And also it's a I think the thing that really helped me was knowing that just because she might be predisposed disposed doesn't mean that that's going to trigger in her. Like so she might be predisposed to these mental illnesses, but it doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to I don't want to say suffer from them, but live with them. And I think I'm probably a good example of that at some level for you to see like so there's that trauma and the women, particularly in my side of the family, although my uncle um, sadly ended his life as well. But I've never really been impacted by it. I think there is a level of me that shuts off love or doesn't let emotion in because I'm scared of feeling big feelings, if that makes sense. So when someone's feeling something in my family, 
it it hurts. It's either big love, big sad, big anger, and I mean like big anger. So I tend to shut down accepting love and accepting help, but I haven't been impacted, you know. Um, I'm generally really in control of my own emotions and mental health. Yeah. Um, So would the takeaway be that by working on your trauma, you're limiting the impact of passing it on? I think it's acknowledging. Yeah. It's acknowledging it. So, Which is something I think you both do very, very well. Yeah, thanks. For me, it's about breaking the cycle with Layla. And my mum has, to her credit, is also one of the strongest women I know. She's had very, very big emotional episodes and and mass trauma that's triggered those, like mass trauma. That's I mean, she lost her mum, she lost her brother. There was some abuse in the background, but there is an element where she gets up every time and she works on herself and she does try and fix it every time. She takes eventually takes full responsibility for that and she's, you know, there's been times when she's sat me down and said, I recognise what my behaviour has done, you know, in our relationship and for you. But for me, that's, you know, going back to what I said earlier with Layla, it's so important that she doesn't feel the responsibility for that. So we, I talk about it and I want her to know that sad happens and fights happen. And we talk a lot in our house about repair. So Michael and I fight, particularly if I'm stressed or tired, we, neither of us are good tired. But if we fight and Layla sees it, we repair in front of Layla and it's our conscious decision. So she sees us argue, that's healthy, right? We all argue, you want to. In front of her, whether we're ready to repair or not, we do it consciously in front of her. And we, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Can I have a hug? Let's let's fix it. We might continue the argument later, (laughs) but in front of her, we repair. So I think for me, yeah, it is about being so conscious of our past and our experience and trying to acknowledge how our children might have to deal with that in yeah. life. Yeah, that's exactly how I would explain it. It's all about awareness and mm. and being mindful of the mental illness history within our families and stuff. I think it's just knowing all of that and then getting the tools from like a psychologist. And taking the stigma away from it, yeah. right? So like how ang- I, I haven't listened to your last podcast because obviously you haven't released it yet, but I can imagine the anxiety of having to publicly... Yeah, you know, openly talk about that. And there is this stigma. I mean, there was a stigma, like I said, I was embarrassed when I got my eggs frozen and that was a completely different stigma. So, you know, I don't talk to a lot of people about my experience. Most people would say, oh, you come from a pretty stable, you're pretty normal, like your only child. And everyone actually says to me, oh, it's weird. I'd never expected you to be an only child, you know, that sort of thing. But because we have this label that we associate with only children. And I think we have these one of my favourite sayings, and Michael says it a lot, is once you label me, you negate me. Yeah. And so if I said to you, oh, you've got a mental health diagnosis in your head, you're like, oh, well, she's pigeonholed me. Yeah. But it doesn't, right? It, it, and it shouldn't. So for me, it's like so important to break that stigma and to say, to, if Layla was to suffer from depression, to say, yeah, look, I suffer from depression. These are the tools I need to put in place to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I um, and that's why we're here. Yeah, having this yeah. conversation, Definitely. which is a really hard conversation. I mean, how anxious was I at the beginning? But it's so nice to be able to talk to someone so full openly sweaty. about it. Yeah, full sweaty, sweaty palms. Um, yeah. So seeing that psychologist and learning about epigenetics, and I, I do recommend that anyone with the same concerns learns about it as well because it really changed everything for me. And I definitely accepted that I was having a girl and really got excited about it. So that was really important. Um, I did suffer really badly with perinatal depression throughout my pregnancy with Magnolia, not even taking the um, gender into account. I cried the second, like I'd get through the day. And I think that the whole thing with 
mental illness as well, especially with someone like me, I present totally fine mm-hmm. all yep. the time to people. So pe- when I told people I had bipolar, they were so shocked. Like a few people were like, oh, there's no way you've been misdiagnosed. Yeah. And I was like, well, you don't know me very well. Like, I mean, I couldn't even say you don't know me very well. These were some of the people who knew me better than anyone in the world. But I would I present very well all day. I'd be okay. I'd hold it all together. And the second Kev went to bed, because he gets up to work at like 2, so as soon as he went to bed, I would just cry. I would just watch TV and just be incredibly sad and completely numb until I went to bed. And it was honestly a struggle, um, yeah, just to, I don't know, just to keep going. It was very hard. It's funny because I think people don't talk about gender disappointment yeah. enough, right? So part of the reason I agreed to come on here and talk about a lot of this stuff is that, and same thing I did with my eggs frozen. I ended up posting something afterwards and was kind of like, this is the process I've been through. Just be conscious when you're labeling someone as, you know, single or whatever, that it can affect them emotionally. We were adamant this pregnancy. It was a boy. Adamant. Like same thing. We had boys' names picked. Um, We were going to have one of each. That was fine. And we found out at 10 weeks, like I said, we're a bit earlier. So we did older, sorry. So we did the NIPT test and we wanted to know the gender and we found out we were having a girl and we both looked at each other and we were like, oh, my God, girl. Oh, it's amazing. How? It's, oh, I'm so excited. And then because we're so open and, you know, honest with each other, we kind of, I, was, I remember saying to Michael, how do you actually feel? And he's like, oh, I think I'm a bit, I'm a bit disappointed. And I was like, yeah, I think me too. And then, so part of me was because I wasn't going to have a boy, we're two and done, so that's not going to be my experience. Part of me was because um, he wouldn't get to have a boy. And then I went through this thing of, oh no, Layla's going to think I'm replacing her. And the guilt that felt with that, like if I had a boy, it was one of each, that was fine. But for her, because now I'm so obsessed with her, again, this is me rescuing and carrying people because that's what I've done my whole life is I will amend my emotions and I will amend how I'm feeling to protect someone else. I didn't want her, I didn't want to have a girl because I didn't want Layla to think, which is the thing that had come up throughout my whole, I guess, history of counselling. I didn't want her to think she wasn't enough. Yeah. I was never enough. I wasn't enough to fix my mum's happiness. I wasn't enough to fix my parents' relationship. I wasn't enough for my dad to want to stay in my life really um, as you know, much as he had been prior to the divorce. So for me, I automatically went into she's going to have that feeling of not being enough and I need to stop that from her. But then I fast realised that's my learned experience. That's not hers. She's never going to not feel enough because I'm never going to let her feel like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I. it's really funny that you say that because one of the coping mechanisms that I used when I found out she was a girl before I was getting all the counselling and, you know, starting to look at it in a healthy way was, oh, at least she's a girl so that'll make Oscar happy yeah not feel so left out which you know obviously isn't the the case at all but I think that was something I really struggled with anxiety wise was how my I just didn't believe that I could love another child the way that I loved Oscar and I think I'm going through that now yeah but I'm also very aware that everyone says to me your heart grows yeah it doesn't it's not I think it's a really normal thing but that was something that I really fixated on but yes so dealt with a lot of mental health issues when I was Pregnant with Magnolia, that was the first time I'd seen a psychologist. So I think that that was really beneficial, like developing a relationship with her and going through some other things as well. Had Magnolia, again, happiest six months of my life. Just loved it. Loved having, I I do think it was hard going from one to two. Definitely not going to deny that. But loved having a baby again, getting to do all of those things. But then once 
I guess it's really hard to explain, but then I guess my mental health just went back to my normal status of uh, whatever it was. I would never say that I went back to, I think it's just different. My experience is obviously really different to other people's, but things just went back to what my normal was when she was like six months old. And then we tried for three years with Sol. So my mental health, and we'll cover this in another episode, we're going to into it in more depth, but kind of just started to decline and Kev started to notice a bit of a pattern where I would be really happy and great and excitable about things. I'd like, if you asked Ash, I decided I was going to be a lawyer. So (laughs) dropped out of my writing degree, like enrolled to be a lawyer. And I think that that was probably one of the, because since having Oscar Magnolia, I managed to keep all of my impulses at bay Mm. because I want more than anything to just like be a really good mum. And so I would really like try and shut that down. And then I guess when the lawyer thing came up, obviously Kev was really supportive. Everyone was really supportive. But I think Kev was then a bit like, is this a, this is a bit random. Like she's throwing away this thing she's been working towards for so long. Anyway, I, once he like sat me down, which I think, you know, must've taken a lot. Courage. Yeah. And was like, well, he's known me since I was 18. And he was like, look, think that maybe you should go and speak to your doctor like could there be a chance that maybe this is bipolar and I was like oh and then I looked at the symptoms and I was like holy shit how has this not come up before anyway mm. so I went to my doctor and I just spoke to her about what Kevin and I had talked about and um, some of the experiences in my life and she referred me to a psychiatrist and I was diagnosed within the first uh, appointment she was just like, I cannot believe that someone in your life hasn't been like, oh, this chick's got bipolar. Like, But you were so, like you said, in control of everything yes. and you hid so much. Yep. And to everybody else you were, in quotation marks, normal. Yeah. Yep. Um, and when I've had mass trauma, I'm often the same. People are like, oh, I didn't even know that was what was happening. Because yeah. you just, you operate at a level so that nobody knows, yep. right? So that it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me in the same end. And it's like when you hear any, you know, celebrities or sporting stars take their life, everyone's like, oh, what do they have to be sad about? Or they were the, you know, happiest bloke in the room and nobody knows what's happening behind closed doors or, you know, even sometimes the people closest to you can have no idea like how you're really feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'd started seeing this psychiatrist. I'd really come to terms with, actually, I just want to say something while I remember, and this came back to me yesterday. Do you remember one day a few years ago, uh, you were working at F45 and I was going to have coffee at Maud and I was with Kev and you said hello to me and like you were so nice and stuff. And I think I I felt like I was really rude because I was about to burst into tears and you were with Carly. And um, I just, this just came to me last night when I was writing this. That was, I had come from the psychiatrist and been diagnosed. Holy shit. And Kev and I were going to Maud to talk about it. Wow. And, yeah, so then I I remember getting to the I'm like, oh, my God, Tegan probably thinks I'm such a bitch. I was just so rude. I think you messaged me. Did I? I think you messaged me and said, oh, sorry, I was in a hurry. I was a bit rude. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I actually, no, actually, I remember that really specifically because I felt like I was rude because I couldn't remember Kev's name. <laughs> I remember that. And I was like, fuck. Alex's husband's name. I've met him once before. Yeah. And then you messaged me. I'm pretty sure you messaged me and you were like, oh, sorry, I was really rude. And I was like, hey, no, you I had was like rude. the kids yeah. and everything yeah. was happening. Yeah. And oh, that makes me feel better. How funny is it that, like, weirdly, on the day that you had that appointment, you saw me. Yeah. And now, and now we're here yeah. talking about <laughs> I know. it. I know. That's why it came to my mind last night. And I was like, holy shit, this is so, like, 
weird full circle shit. Yeah. But yes, so in the process of sorting out what medication I was going to go on, once I had the diagnosis, I was so keen. I was so happy that I knew what was wrong with me and that there might be a fix. I was like, this is, you know, going to be life-changing. Anyway, the day before I had my appointment to go back to the psychiatrist and get my uh, prescription, I found out I was pregnant. Oh. So I was stoked. We'd been trying for such a long time. How crazy is the universe? Yeah, but that meant you I couldn't go on the medication. Couldn't go on medication. And that was obviously really conflicting because I was very happy, but I was also like pretty diff- like devastated that I'd have to go through all of those feelings for another nine months. Were you so devastated hard. or were you scared? I was really scared because while I'd been able to keep everything at bay for such a long time, I was starting to notice that I was getting a little bit more impulsive. The depression was getting worse. So, yeah, I was really scared. With Soul, I was very well taken care of medically. So I had my GP who I saw all the time. I had the most incredible midwife called Jenny and she was part of the, I can't remember the exact name of the unit, but it's basically a risk management unit for people with mental health issues and she would always say that I was her favourite patient. She was so nice and we'd get so excited to see each other. That's how I feel about my obstetrician. Yeah, we just yeah. I just loved her. She was fantastic. I saw, I've got a blood disorder as well, so I had a haematologist that I saw regularly and he was lovely. I had a psychologist and a psychiatrist. So everyone was really, and I think because having the diagnosis as well, Kev was kind of more aware of like what to look for. But I mean, all of that, it helped to a point, but I was very depressed. I think I had my one of my worst days. I woke up and normally I can hide all of my emotions from the kids. I probably don't you I think you have a really healthy and you've obviously worked on this like showing your daughter emotion and stuff. I just try not to. Like I really try hard. I mean, I'll cry at a movie, but I try to the point where the other day I was crying in a movie and I was just like, "Oh, mummy doesn't cry." So, yeah. probably need to work on that a bit more. And I think for me and I think you've got to do whatever's right for you, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would am so conscious of is you can never judge anybody else's experience of parenting. But for me, it's so important that Layla experiences emotions because they were behind closed doors in my family. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so, and and generationally, really behind closed doors in my mum's family. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, I want emotion to be experienced and normalised and show that you can move on from it. Yeah. And so like, you know, we might experience something big. If I'm sick, for example, if I've got a cold, I'm, I've got a cold for 24 hours, I really embrace it. I get in bed, I double my socks and then I like give myself 24 hours and then the next 24 hours I'm up and I kind of deal with my emotional health in the same context. If something's ha- happened to me, I sink into it and I'm yeah. like, fuck, this is hard and I'm emotional and I cry and I, and then I'm like, okay, how do I pull myself out of this and how do I have the responsibility to do that? Yeah. And that's what I want Layla to, to see that oh, I can be really sad but I can move on from that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We do talk about that quite a lot in our group, like just yeah. feeling things and, and letting yourself be sad when you're sad and then we kind of have an action plan do you know how are we going to come out of that. Yeah, I think one thing that it was funny, I remember when we were drinking a lot of tequila, I think I might have been pregnant or it might have been just before I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> Well, I definitely didn't drink tequila when I knew I was yeah, pregnant, yeah. Um, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, 
I remember Tegan once saying to me, sometimes I don't know if, I can't remember how you said it, but you said something like, sometimes I don't know if you're... Oh, I know what you're going to say. Genuine, was it, in your... Yeah, I said to Julia, and I feel good that we can have conversations like this. Yeah. I said to Julia, Julia is so positive that sometimes to me, and people probably say this about me too, to be honest, like sometimes to me I was like, I'm not 100% sure if it's genuine because she brings that level of positivity all the time. So like if I want someone to tell me this is just fucking shit, I won't text Julia. I'll text Sarah. (laughs) And I think it's interesting because I really, I heard that and what came up for me in that was that's a learned behaviour of mine from my like my experience as a kid where if something's really sad it's my responsibility to help them out of it and to yeah. find the positive and again so and I get it because when when things are shit for me I also just want someone to go that's fucked like I'm sorry that's shit you know no, you're like swear okay. <laughs> cuz shit's still a swear word too but you know it really made me conscious of the fact that that was a learned behavior of mine and I look a lot at learned behaviors in my own life and it is, it's a, it's a rescue. It's a, I'm going to, well, I can fix that. Yeah. And let's find the pot. Let's find the positive. It's a, it's, yeah, that's really hard. I need to pull you out of it, you know? Yeah. And do you know why, like, and now that I've done more work on myself, the reason why that bothered me in you is because it's a mirror of what yeah. I do. And I'm like, for my job, I'm looking for solutions. Yeah. And sometimes it's something we need to remember as, and you do the same thing in your job. You're always looking for solutions. You're putting yeah. out fires. We need to remember as friends and as partners that sometimes we just need to validate the way that people are feeling and they're not looking for a solution. And 100%. we're pretty good now with being yeah. like, do yeah. you want a solution or do you want sympathy? Yeah. Do what I said. It's, it's a very easy question. Yeah. Do you want yeah. a shoulder or do you want a solution? Well, and it's good. like, I just want a shoulder. It's yeah. like, go for it, you know. Yeah, it's really funny because last night I was saying um, before that I really struggled with answering these. It took me like a really long time. And one of the questions later, which, I mean, we've just started discussing now, when you said any suggestions on how you can support someone, I was like, shit, I'm just going to ask Kev because he's an expert in supporting someone with, you know, a mental illness. So I said to him, like, what advice would you give? And he said sometimes, and it's taking him a long time to learn, but, yeah, sometimes you just can't fix their problem and you have to step back because I think that's what he always tried to do for me. Yeah. Like he'd mm. be positive and try and help me. And we're such different people. He's never had a, like, never had anxiety, never had an ounce of depression, like, at all. So he just could never understand what I was going through because he loves me so much. He wanted to help me and make me feel better. But I would just reject that completely. Mm. I'd be like, that is not going to help me. And now he's learnt just to listen and let me cry or let me completely shut down and stop trying, like, stop being like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And trying to And just to validate. It. That yeah. feeling is real for you. Yeah. And as irrational as somebody else might think it is or as irrational as you might think somebody else thinks it is, yeah. it's real. Yeah. And yeah. not saying that you can't help in your own way because he has done really lovely things. Like, obviously, he's learned when to step in and when not to step in. But one day I was having a real, I get really bad panic attacks. One day I was having a, a debilitating panic attack And he sat down and he's like, I've just been researching how to help someone when they're having a panic attack. And there's this app and you can watch this thing and it it might help. And I did it and it helped. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's been doing this, like, background stuff. 
so he could help when when there was an opportunity to. But yeah, and I like I said at the start, we've got a script, but I knew that it would kind of come around quite organically, and that is something that I did want to say at the end of the episode is just a huge shout out to the partners of people that oh, are massively. dealing with mental health. And my experience with mental health has been more on the side of being a partner and trying to support someone through that, not in my current relationship, but in a past relationship. And it's really hard and it's really hard to not take things personally and to remember that it's not about you and that it's not even, you know, about the person. It's, you know, sometimes something that's completely outside of their control and it's really hard to be there and support them and that, yeah, just a shout out to the partners. Massive shout out. Massive. Absolutely. I, yeah. I don't even want to get into it and we can do it in another episode, but I just don't even know where I would. I wouldn't have the life that I have now if it wasn't for Kev. Yeah. My life, so. Maybe we'll get Kev on for an episode about how to support someone with their mental health. I think that would be really good because, yeah, he's very good at it and he's done a lot of work towards it. Yeah, so that day that it was probably my lowest point in my pregnancy with Sol, I couldn't stop crying and I didn't want the kids to see me, so I was like, shut them out and, like, I was just crying in my room. Anyway, we ended up going out and tried to have a nice day, just got out of the house and stuff. But, yeah, that was probably my hardest pregnancy mentally. I had hyperemesis, so I couldn't go out much. Mm. I was just vomiting all the time. I felt really bad for the other kids. I felt like I was just completely letting them down, like physically. I couldn't take them to do all the things that they wanted to do. So that was really hard. When I had Sol, I was actually in the hospital. They gave me, like, a private room for five days just so, you know, mentally I would be fully prepared Anyway, my, I did speak to my psychiatrist and she said, I just want to keep in contact with you really regularly, which we did. And she said, I just want you to know that I, it's often at the four-month mark that this kind of there's a big change in hormones and everything and that's if you're going to slip, that's probably when it's going to happen. Anyway, everything was fine. Everything was going really well. Just over the four-month mark, one day I woke up and Kev was at work and I felt such despair. I was like, I can't get up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just started crying and I felt like physically ill. And I called Kev and he's like, are you going to be okay? Like, do you want me to come home? And I'm like, no, okay. I'm okay. I can get my shit together. Anyway, I'm trying to like make the kids lunches and get them ready. And I just couldn't get myself together. And um, Kev was like, you've just got to go to Ashes. And like, I think that's that's what you need to do. So I dropped the, well, dropped Oscar off at school and drove straight there. And I just, like, was with her basically until, like, I could go uh, home or get in contact with my psychiatrist. Anyway, so then at that point, I kind of realised I wasn't capable of dealing with it on my own. So I started the medication and I, yeah, haven't looked And I think it's funny because we have this stigma in our head around medication. Like I said, I didn't want to go on antidepressants because that's what I had experienced. And it's, it's, it's like when I did my eggs, once you start, it's not as scary as it seems before you start. It's like, you know, Tegan talks about habits all the time and on other podcasts, you know, just go for a walk. And if you can only walk for three minutes, at least you've done three minutes. It's like once I, once I surrender to whatever it is, taking medication, realising that's my experience, then you become um, the, the fear around it's gone, yeah. the anxiety around it's gone. I hope you don't mind me saying this and I'm going to say it and I because it's something I experienced. When you said before, and I'm really careful, I hope this is okay to say, when you said before that you don't want your children to see it so you hide in your room if you're sad. I used to know my mum was hiding in her room and I knew she was sad. And so she would come out happy 
but I would know. And again, I think that's where some of my, oh, I've got to fix that or I'm not enough because she didn't share that with me. That's part of why I'm probably conscious of my thing. And I'm not saying I'm right and that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying my experience was, I think you hide in your room going, oh, I don't want them to see, but kids are so aware yeah. and they know. And so if anything, it might just be like maybe it's a conversation afterwards, like mum just needed some time on her own yeah. um, because I was a bit sad but I'm not sad anymore and yeah. what do you want to do, you know, as yeah. opposed to pretending it didn't happen. And, again, that's not wrong or right. It was just my experience of a kid as I was so conscious yeah. that when mum's door was closed, that's what She's she was sad. going through. Yeah. yeah. No, you're so right and I definitely like especially Oscar's almost nine and he's very intuitive. But, yeah, it's definitely something that I I think, thank God I'm on the medication now because it happens less. But, yeah, it's probably something that I definitely need to let them see a little bit because I don't want them to grow up and think that it's not normal to be sad, sad either yeah. because they probably don't really see me sad. And you would want them to be okay to be sad. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And yeah. happy. Like yeah. you want them okay to be happy as well. Like, yeah. you know, that manicness of bipolar yeah you, know, you probably panic sometimes when you're really happy Is yeah this- um so we probably didn't have to cut this short and we probably could have talked for days and days mm. thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable with us guys i think this is such an important conversation and i'm really excited for people to hear it just before we wrap up i just wanted to say maybe from each of you maybe one piece of advice you would give to somebody that is feeling like this or struggling with their mental health or struggling with being a new mum, what would be your one sort of tangible takeaway to give our listeners? This is the question that I struggled with the most. I think that the biggest thing is what I kind of just touched on is be an advocate for yourself, whether that's your partner or a friend Um, with experiences like when I went to that first fertility doctor and he kind of laughed Mm. me out of the room. If I had have, you know, just accepted that, I might not have been you know where I am today like who who knows but I'm really glad and proud of myself that I was able to say you know no this is I know that there's something wrong with my body and that this isn't how it should be happening and actually just like my other one was what you've kind of said this whole time is just like set yourself up with really good people like just surround yourself with people that are going to be there for you when you need it because you're definitely going to need it at yeah. some stage. I thought about this one and I found it quite hard too. I think if you are someone who is a support and you think that particularly um, for a new mum that someone is maybe struggling a little bit, have the courage to ask them if they're okay and to maybe not give up on pushing, not pushing that point but just investigating that point a little bit more if they say they are because I guarantee they're like, no, it's fine. Like I'm supposed to love this and it's supposed to be so easy. You know, and so I was really grateful particularly for Tegan at that time when she said, I think you're not okay. Like, you know, um, so just keep keep at it and maybe just be there and talk to another friend so that, you know, you are all aware of any signs that that person might be going through. I think for someone that's going through it themselves, it doesn't help at the time when someone says to you, this ends, I promise you it does end or it changes. And I tell myself all the time, nothing is permanent. Like no happiness is permanent. No sadness is permanent. There's a big law of duality that I really believe in. But please don't have the fear to reach out. You know, don't label yourself as a failure. Just ask someone for help. And if you're not confident enough to ask your friends or your family at the time for help, 
there are those helplines which can seem really, you almost feel a bit stupid to want to pick up the phone and call. But the the minute you have verbalised it, it's not as scary anymore. So just find someone to talk to, a doctor, go and see a GP and say, I'm sure this is normal, but (laughs) I'm not really coping. And then that person takes the responsibility for you and leads you on that journey. Like you had your, you know, team around you during that pregnancy all of a sudden the pressure's taken off. So just if it's not someone you feel comfortable enough in your life, that's so fair, just bring a doctor or go and talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to add one. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) I just remember, I do remember that conversation that day that I came over and you were really, really struggling. And my message would be if you're struggling with this would be to accept the help And I know I remembered saying to you, you just need to ask and we are here and we are ready to help. Like even if it is just bringing over a coffee and letting you have a shower, like just accept the help that people have because, you know, you're not. We always think when we're um, asking for or receiving help that we're inconveniencing the other person. And I think you need to remember and we always forget this is when we accept help, we're giving the other person purpose. Mm. We're feeding into their ego that they're helping us. Like they're getting something from the transaction as well. Yeah. It's not like they're like, oh, my God, I have to go over and help my friend. They're like, I'm helping. Like, I get And to. they've got contribution. Yeah. Yeah. So don't ever think that you're putting someone out, you're allowing them to contribute and to be part of that village because it is a very special thing to do. And it is. And I suddenly had like multiple friends dropping food over and I was like, oh, wow, what made you bring that over? <laughs> In hindsight, you know, village speaks behind your back. Um, but it was a massive help. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I am so proud of both of you for being open to having this conversation in such a public forum. Uh, The more we can do to break down the remaining stigma around mental health, the better. I hope you are both very proud of yourselves and I'm sure that this episode will have a profound impact on many. Thank you for sharing, Alex. Thank you for sharing. So it was so awesome to have Julia on for this episode and for you guys to be so vulnerable and share your experiences. And I think a lot of people will get a lot of validation out of the conversation. And it's really important that we do have these really hard conversations. How did you feel after we recorded? So yes, it has been a few days since we recorded and I will admit the day, so like when I went home from the recording, I was a bit jittery and anxious just because as I said to you, that's the most I've ever spoken about my bipolar with anyone other than Kev. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so what to divulge in such a public forum. Yeah. But then I went and had a little bit of a listen and I was really happy with it. So I'm feeling good now. That's good. Yes. I'm really excited for everyone to be hearing this. Well, they've heard it now. Yeah. We're in the recap. Yep. Yes. So I'm super glad we did it. There are a few things that I realised that I left out. So I do want to cover them today just because I think that they're important. Yep. So there's just a few things. So one of the things that I feel like I wasn't explicit about, the big concern with like, you know, how they were really worried about me in the postpartum phase. So that's because there's a big relationship between postpartum psychosis and bipolar disorder. So women with bipolar disorder are at a greater risk of a relapse with psychotic symptoms soon after delivery. And like on the flip side of that, for a lot of women, it's actually the first time they have a bipolar episode, like if they haven't been diagnosed before 
a lot of women that's when they'll find out that they've got it. Yeah, right. Mm. It's a really risky time. It is a really risky time. So I'm super grateful that that's something that I was aware of and that I had such a good team of doctors and family support around me. Yeah, it sounds like you really did have um, the dream team yeah. on your third pregnancy, but you had two pregnancies before that you would have you like you would have been bipolar for. So you're so lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Yeah, and the doctors did keep because I was so confident. I was like, look, it's going to be fine. I've had two and it was fine. And yeah, they were like, well, that was a bit of a miracle. So yeah, very lucky. And every pregnancy is different, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm a really good example of how different every mm. pregnancy and delivery and experience afterwards can be. Yeah. Because, yeah, I feel like I've kind of run the spectrum on that. The other thing is we were going to discuss, I think maybe we touched on it a little bit, but our fear of passing on our mental health issues to the kids. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that is something that I'm very concerned about. But I've discussed it with a psychologist, which has helped me work through it. And I talk to Kev about it all the time. And he's like the most logical person in the world. Like you two are really similar. So it's good to like kind of get that out. But there is a 10% chance when you have one parent with bipolar, there's a 10% chance that the kids will have it as well. Okay. Which I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's. Oh, 10% is not nothing. That's one in 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So it is a bit of a concern. And if you've got two parents with bipolar, then it's a 40% chance. Wow. Yeah. Which is huge. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, definitely a concern. And every time, like if Oscar has a night terror, I know that the night terror is not necessarily for everyone a symptom of bipolar, but it is, it was one of the biggest symptoms for me. Yep. So every time Oscar has a night terror, I'm like, oh my God, has he got bipolar? So yeah, I just have to be really logical and talk to my psychologist whenever that comes up. But yeah, and, that is and a the concern. thing is, if like you know, ten percent, you know, if that was a raffle, you'd be that's pretty good odds. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not yeah. nothing. Yeah. Um, but I guess the main thing is that you're aware of the odds yeah. and that you're looking out for the symptoms and that if one of the kids do have bipolar that you'll give them the support and the medical attention that they need from the get-go, which is going to be a different experience to what you've had as well. Yeah, absolutely, because there's just no way that my parents could have ever known, you know. And I don't know that the awareness was as good as it is now back in in those days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in in our days. (laughs) In the olden days. (laughs) Um, No, that's so true. And the other thing, and I'll definitely put some links to this, and I think Julia explained it really well, uh, epigenetics. So the dictionary definition of epigenetics is that it's the study of how your behaviours and environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. So that's something I'll put links to because it's really interesting. So those are the things I wanted to include. Yeah, that's a really good recap. Yeah. I'm really um, interested to hear what the listeners have to say about the episode. We'd really love to hear from you if this episode really hit home or if there's any value that you've gotten out of it. Can you please send us a message on Instagram if you feel safe to do so? Yeah, absolutely. And like I know personally I got so much from the episode from Julia. There was things that I learned from her. She was so honest and I think that that, you know, everything that I kind of took from her and doing that episode shows the power of talking about mental illness because Mm. like having such a candid conversation, there was so much I took away from that and validation knowing that someone else has kind of felt like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that Jules is very good at being open about it and talking about it. And as you said, so important. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we are going to wrap up this incredibly important episode with one of Tegan's Monday motivations, and I'm very excited for this one. So so I was going to say, off you go. (laughs) Off you go. Off you go. (laughs) Hit me with it. (laughs) Hit me with it. So today's Monday motivation is uh, another mindset switch. Try switching saying I don't have time to that's not a priority for me and see how that lands. Yeah, I love that because I feel like I could go either way. Like maybe there's some things that you just really don't need to do, but then it could definitely be something really important like working out. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, that should be a priority. What am I doing? Yeah. Like you said, can go both ways. Could be a bit of a time audit and you could really see, you know what? I don't have time for that. I'm trying to commit to too much and that's going to be a positive thing as well. But then, yeah, it could be a really motivating thing. If you think I don't have time to work out. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's not a priority for me to move my body, that feels pretty yucky. Yeah, it does. So if you find yourself saying, I don't have time, change it to it's not a priority for me and just see how that feels. And I think that that will help you reprioritize your life and your health and fitness and wellness commitments. Yeah, I love that. That's a fantastic one. Thank you for listening to what we believe has been a truly eye-opening and enriching conversation. I again thank Julia and Alex for their vulnerability and willingness to share with us. These are the conversations that matter. Through our bravery to share, we start to help others realize that they are not alone in their experiences. We are vowing to not shy away from the hard topics. If you have any suggestions for something that you would like us to talk about, please send it through via DMs on Instagram. We want to explore the issues that affect us as women, and we are so willing to learn more about the issues that impact our listeners. If you have found value in the last two episodes, please tell someone else about them. It might be your friend who has just had a baby or it might be your support network if you are feeling this way. Even as a woman without children and who may choose not to have children, I got so much out of this conversation. Thank you all for holding the space for us. We love you and we can't wait to bring you more episodes of the Bread and Better podcast. 